0: Good morning, church. Good morning. I don't normally do this, but would it be okay if, if I prayed again here? Let's, let's pray together. The Father in heaven, uh, I know I have had a very, very busy week. And I know that my experience is not my own. I know that there are many people in this room that have had their RPMs pegged too fast (laughs) in the red zone. And so I want to pray right now, Lord, that you would help us to quiet our minds. That you would help us to slow down the RPMs of our hearts. That in some miraculous way, in this world of noise, you would help us to focus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we've been talking about walking with God. We've been talking about unforgettable walks. We spent some time last year, uh, last year, <laughs> that's what it feels like, it's been a whole year, last week, uh, talking about what happens when we walk with God, when we faith walk. And uh, we realize that only when we faith walk, only when we walk with God, are we able to experience God's power in our lives to do something that would not otherwise be done if we didn't actually take those faith steps, Amen. um, So so we we talked about five things. Let's put them up on the screen right now. Last week we said faith-walking enlarges our spiritual comfort zone. In case you missed it, we talked about that. It it increases our faith. Faith Faith-walking is liberating. We looked at the life of Moses. Faith-walking crumbles the walls that... The enemy has erected before us. We looked at, once again, just briefly, Jericho's walls coming down. Faith walking is eliminating. We, lo- we looked at the story of the disciples that walked with Jesus, and they said, they not our hearts burn within us. Faith walking inspires a sacrificial spirit. And we looked at the life of Jesus. And then there was one more that I kind of added in there that's not on this list, but you may remember this. Faith walking opens the portals of heaven as it did for Enoch. And he walked with God so beautifully that he just walked right into heaven. Remember that? Beautiful stuff. What we talked about was the fact that faith walking will forever change our lives. And this is the reality. We must accept this reality. Because the enemy has gotten us so lulled. The enemy has gotten us so comfortable that we have lost the importance of faith walking. And perhaps the most famous story, the most incredible faith walk of all, is the one we're going to talk about today. And that is that, that great story uh, that, that many of you have heard about, whether you grew up in, in, in a faith or not. Most of us have seen it in some way or another. If not, man, you're in for a treat. It's a great story. But as I always say, do not let the familiarity of the story get in the way of the blessing today. Is that okay? I want, to look, I want you to see this story from a whole new perspective. And that is the greatest walk, that, the most faith walk that I've ever remembered was this, the, when, when Jesus walked on water and Peter wanted to walk with him. Remember that? And so we're calling this one Water Walkers. Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22, I'm reading from the NIV, and it says this, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. What crowd? Well, if you read the chapter before, you would learn, or or part of the other part of the chapter, you would learn that Jesus had just fed 5,000 plus people miraculously this was big this was a big deal so jesus is feeding all these people and now he does something which is interesting i, I, I normally he goes and, and then disappears and the disciples have to deal with it but no this time he says look you guys go on ahead i'm sending you ahead and i will meet up with you and he's dismissing the crowd that's how big the can you imagine jesus dismissing the crowd Imagine Jesus being here today after the church service saying, Oh, hi, how are you? Yes, yeah, have a wonderful Sabbath. You know, I mean what does that look like, right? Jesus dismissing the crowd. And then it says this it says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. God? Is he talking to himself? One of the amazing things about the scriptures is it reveals to us that when Jesus let go of his grip of divinity, he decided to experience humanity fully. And as a human even though that he was there was still a part of him that was obviously divine as a human he prays to his father as a human back in those days when the world was not as noisy and it was not as busy and it was not as intense he felt the need to go up by himself and pray I think today we ought to be doing that even more so. Wouldn't you say so? And if Jesus is our example and he is doing that, why is it that we pray so infrequently? When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already considerable distance from land. And it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. The most pronounced encounter with God that we experience, I don't, know, I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but in my life, the most pronounced encounters with God often are experienced against the wind. Often in adversity do I experience the presence of God in a way that I have not experienced in anything else. Do you know what I'm talking about? And is it possible that because we are so comfortable and because we have so little adversity from the perspective of religious freedom that maybe we don't really get to appreciate this? Please do not misunderstand I think a lot of us are experiencing a lot of adversity. But I think sometimes we get so used to it, we get so numb that we can't even feel God's presence in our lives. Sometimes God smacks us. Hey, wait, wake up. (laughs) Have you ever been smacked by God? That's a whole other story. And so, I don't know about you, but for me, the storms of life are the most frequent places that I see God the best. It is when we are buffeted by the waves that we are to look for God. And all of us experience them from time to time. And they come in many different forms, don't they? I mean, if I were to go around right now and ask you, what is your storm? I bet you could tell me that. It's as common as a whirlwind of stress that keeps the needle pegged to 100 miles, 200, 300 miles per hour. I will admit to you, I've had an intense week. It's been a great week, but it's been intense. And it dawned on me yesterday, because I am slow, that I had to preach this morning And teach a Sabbath school this morning. And I get the privilege to teach again at Mosaic. And then do a wedding this afternoon. So I'm talking to myself, you understand this, as well as you guys. Please don't think I am in any way, shape, or form reprimanding anybody except for me. I think we get just too crazy, too busy. We lose sight of what's going on. And all of a sudden we're saying, whoa, where am I going to find the time for this? This common is a hurricane of discouragement for some of you. Some of you have gone through a lot in your lives, and you feel confused and you feel misunderstood. And there's this discouragement that just just comes like a hurricane. It comes from from life's disappointments. You know, t- we, we've been reading in the, in the news the past few weeks about hurricanes, haven't we? We've been reading about what happened. We were just trying to, to, to at least bounce back from the intensity of what happened in Texas, and now suddenly, boom, islands are being swept away. I know some of you, like us, like Nancy and I, you have relatives in Florida. And, and, and of course, there was a time when you didn't know which way this thing was going, right? Remember that? Because that's the nature of hurricanes, isn't it? That's the nature of not only natural hurricanes. That's the nature of the hurricanes in our lives. We just don't know. We don't know. Where's it going? How's it going to affect us? Are we going to drown? So please, please pray for those folks as they're experiencing that right now. And sometimes the hurricanes in our lives are storms of intense, deep grief, torrents of rain from the inside out. Isn't that true? But it is in those moments of adversity, I want you to know this, that Jesus is the most present. It is in those moments of adversity that God shows up that that, that in some way we can see him. We think it's a ghost, but it's not. There is no ghosts. But there is a Jesus. And it says this, it says this, it says, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, man, but that's kind of freaky to me. Imagine being on that boat. The waves of water blowing in your face, dripping down your face, your beard, if you have a beard, you know. And you're just doing everything you can to, to kind of steady yourself. And, you, and you're yelling, bail water, bail water. And everybody's freaking out on this water, on this, on this boat. And you, you may even be thinking, if you're one of the disciples, why would Jesus send us alone out there? Where is he? You know, the one that can calm the storms. What's going on here? You know, and it's just, and it's just crazy out there. And suddenly, suddenly you see something from far away. And it's like, it's like coming towards you, and you're like, what on earth is that? At first you may think it's a boat, but then you realize that's, no, that's too small, that's not a boat. And then you begin to realize it's kind of white and wavy. And, and what the Bible says that the disciples thought, well, maybe this is a ghost. And they know that there was no such thing as ghosts, but yet they're like, I can't explain this any other way. I love this. I love this. I mean, it, in hindsight, really, who could it be? Right? C- Casper? I mean, I don't know. I mean, th- think about it, right? It's like, what on earth is this? Why would you even think this, right? And, and, and then it says, so, so here's, here's, the, here's the irony of it all. Even though the storms of life are the frequent meeting places with god even in moments even though in moments of adversity is where god shows up the most when tormented by waves we are no better in recognizing jesus in our lives than the disciples were in that moment isn't that true and it says this it says in the third watch for those of you who may not know what the third watch was because i had to look it up some years ago when i read the story for the first time that is three o'clock in the morning I'm just going to go here to my corner for a second. I was thinking, what on earth is Jesus doing walking on the lake at 3 o'clock in the morning? I mean, is that, is that just strike me as odd? Is, isn't is that like, isn't that like, isn't, hello? What is he doing walking on the water at 3 o'clock in the morning? Mark in his gospel, says that he intended to pass them by. That makes it weird. He intended... The, the word that he uses is this Greek word that's kind of interesting. It's, it's parekomi. Parekomi means to pass by. And, and it's actually... It's actually from a biblical term called theophany. I know some of you guys are sitting there going, Look, you know, Pastor Sergio, I'm just now getting used to saying manente, and now you're throwing out paracome and theophany, and, you know, I get it. Don't worry about it. It's not important what the words are, but the words are important from the perspective of what they mean. See, it says that Jesus intended to paracomi. And patechome is a defining moment when God makes striking appearances. For example, in the life of Moses, you see God hiding Moses in the cleft of the rocks. He says, I will let my glory pass by. Remember that? That's from the same root word as patechome that we have in the Greek. I'm going to let my glory pass by. So, so when he says, I intended to be, to, uh, that he intended to pass them by, what it really is saying is, he intended to show up in glory. He intended to have divinity flash through humanity. When, when, when uh, Elijah uh, was having his moment on the mountain. It says that the Lord is about to pass by. And he's like, Oh, great. The Lord's about to pass by. He's waiting for this torrent, this intensity. And we find out that, the, that, the, that God passes by in a whisper. In a whisper. It's the same word a rock, a bush, a mountain, a still small voice. Encounter on the sea. It's all the same thing. Parakomi. It's an intentional God moment. And so here's my question. Have you had a parakomi in your life? Is it possible that you might have had a parakomi in your life and you did not know it? You did not recognize Jesus. Jesus was about to have an extraordinary moment with his disciples. How cool is that? And he says, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. See, why would he say that if he's just trying to pass, you know, No, he sees them, he sees them struggling, he sees them half drowning, he sees them soaked, he sees them, in, and, and all of a sudden he stops, and he says, don't be afraid, it is I, it is the great I am. It's the same thing that he said when Moses saw him in the great bush on fire, and Moses was like, what is going on over here with this bush that's always on fire, you know? And he says, who are you? And he says, I am what I am. I am that I am. Sorry. I am what I am is actually Popeye. Thank you. (laughs) I want to make sure you know there's a difference between Popeye and Jesus. (laughs) I love those moments. Mm. (laughs) Job says in chapter 9, he alone, meaning God, stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. The same power that made iron to swim is the same power that causes him to walk on the water. One of those awesome moments when divinity flashed through humanity. You know, there was was an article that I read. This is about a Hindu yogi by the name of Rao. In the 1960s, he uh, was starting to do some pretty amazing things. He actually had gotten the crowd together, and he was able to walk through fire unharmed. And he decided, you know what? I can walk on water. Just like I can walk on fire, I can walk on water. And so he starts to, to advertise this. Look, come and see, you know. He actually starts selling tickets. I kid you not. $100 a ticket to come and see. And the wealthiest of Burma came. 600 of them. Do the math. $60,000 back in the 1960s. And and, and he gathered them at this garden where there was a pool. And they're all watching him. And he's, he's there with his white robe, flowing beard, he walks up to the edge of the pool, and there is this hush. He takes a deep breath. He looks up in the heavens. <coughs> Everybody is silent. <coughs> and then he takes a step. People are looking to see. Is there, like, a piece of glass across? They can't see anything. So he steps. And as he steps, <laughs> he goes right into the water. <laughs> And starts sputtering up. And then as he's sputtering up, he's like, comes up. And he's coming up. He goes, one of you, one of you is faithless. (laughs) It's your fault. But the only one that I know that can walk on water, regardless of faith or faithlessness, it's Jesus Christ. In the whole history, nobody else has ever done this. Nobody has even decided to say, let's make believe that, no, this is Jesus I love that about Jesus. That's the kind of power he has. So now that we have gotten over the dazzle of his amazing appearance, let's get into some of the most important lessons of the story. Amen? All right. So please understand this. In case you missed it. Jesus can find access to us no matter where we are no matter how strong the storm is no matter how intense the hurricane is Jesus can find access to you do you believe that the psalmist puts it this way oh lord You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my goings out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Where can I go from you, Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my beds in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely, then darkness will hide me, and the light becomes night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as the light to you. You cannot hide from God. There was this famous golfer or announcer that and every time some, somebody hit this great shot and it got really close to the flag, he would say, You cannot hide the flag from that man. Well, you can't hide from Jesus, let me tell you. It's like you're waving a flag. I'm here. And it doesn't matter how dark the world gets. It doesn't matter how intense the storm is. I want you to know, I don't know what you're going through right now. Please keep this in mind, because it's going to be important a little later here. God knows what's going on, and he knows where you are, and he wants to save you out of it. Even if it was your fault. Do you believe that? See, we, we, we fall into this trap of thinking, well, I am in the mess. I am because it's my fault. So there's no way that God could ever. No, God loves you. It's always our fault. Can I just be honest with you? Isn't it true? It's always our fault in some way or another. But God still, still loves you. God still wants to save you. God still wants to reach out his hand and bring you up. So I'm going to show you four quick things today. Number one, let's put that slide up. There is always a call. Number two, there is always fear. Number three, there is always help. And number four, there is always a changed life. All right? Yeah, don't, don't, don't be afraid to take out the phones and take a picture of that because that's going to be gone in a second here. So there's always a call, there's always fear, there's always help, and there's always a changed life. I'm going to look at each one of these. Is that fair? So there's always a call. Let's look at that. It says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Verse 28 now. Lord, if it's you, Peter, I mean who else would it have been, let's be honest, right? Tell me to come to you on the water. I'm tempted to go here for a moment, but I'm not going to. What on earth would possess Peter if he sees Jesus on the water? Recognizes him because Jesus says it is I. What on earth possesses him to say, hey, you know what? That looks like fun. See, a lot of us, could fall into the trap of thinking that this is like like extreme sports moment for Peter. But I want to suggest to you that it's actually a moment of extreme discipleship. Jesus says, and here's the call, come. You want to walk on water? Come on. I love that. This is not a story about risk-taking. This is a story about obedience. And water walkers know how to discern between authentic call and foolishness. And I believe as impulsive as Peter was, he recognizes that as an invitation. Jesus, I believe Jesus is actually like, so this, I mean, I don't know how this works, to be honest with you. I don't know how close he was to the boat, you know. I, I don't know, but I know that he can recognize. It. And Jesus is like, come. I believe he's smiling. You, you, you want to walk on water? Come on. This is going to be fun. I love that. Because the call means that Jesus is asking ordinary people to engage in the act of extraordinary trust. The call is a call to get out of the boat. It's Jesus inviting us to the audacity to share in the adventure. And I want to tell you something right from the start here. You cannot ever experience the joy of that adventure unless you get out of the boat. So, what's your boat? What will you choose, the water or the boat? What is your safety, your security, your comfort? Why would you choose that instead of the stormy, rough waves, the depths, the potential of the thrill of a lifetime? Why on earth would you do that? But here's the thing. Water walkers always get out of the boat. They always say, you know, okay. Really, Jesus? Yes, come on. Always. You know, I think Raul was right. There was somebody in there that was faithless, and that was him. I don't know. Don't you feel it? Is it just some of us who are, like, crazy? And, and that's part, because I am crazy. I, I, I get that. My wife tells me all the time, you're crazy, Sergio. I, I get it. I, I believe it now is it possible that, that, don't you feel this, 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 this like m- there's more to life than just sitting in the boat don't you, is, isn't there more to church than just sitting in the pews I mean is it possible that, that when somebody says how's your walk with God he's not talking about church he or she may be talking about like your adventure and have you walked on water yet? Is it, is it possible that, that we are made for more than just avoiding failure? I think in the end, at the, at, at, when it's all said and done, we will not be rewarded for the evil that we have tried to avoid, but rather for the good that we have tried to live. Are you following what I'm saying here? I think too many of us are living our lives in the boat because that's where it's safe and I can avoid evil and I can avoid all this other stuff and and then I could keep everything safe so when Jesus returns everything is safe and I'm good but it, I'm going to tell you right now I think God's going to call us to account not for the evil that we have avoided but for the good that we have failed to live There's something inside all of us that wants to walk on water. To, to leave the paralyzing comfort of, of sitting in a boat. To abandon ourselves recklessly. And to experience the high adventure of God. Don't you? Don't you believe so? Is it just me? There's this great verse in Hebrews. I love this verse. We've talked about this verse many times. I want you to see it from this light. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. Remember that? Confidence in what we hope for, assurance what we do not see. But most of us, most of us have more faith in what we do see than what we don't see. Isn't that true? Most of us have more comfort in what we see than what we don't see. I, I, I hear people all the time, I hate my job. I can't stand my job. And I'm like, why don't you get a new job? Well, you know why he's not getting a new job or she's not getting a new job? Because they're comfortable in that job. Even though they hope for a better job, they have more comfort in what they see than what they don't see. See what I'm saying here? There's more, more assurance in what we have than what we don't have. You say, well, it's a cross Well, no, no, hold on. Here's what it says. It says, this is what the ancients were commanded for. And then it says these words, by faith. By faith, we understand that the universe, universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Have you ever read that? See, now, most of us think that God made the universe out of nothing. Nothing. That's what we think that's saying, but that's not what it's saying. Do not miss this. It's saying that we believers believe that God made something that is seen out of something that is invisible. Doesn't mean it's not there. It just means we can't see it. Now think about this within the context of this whole text here because it's really important. See, what you hope for, you don't see. And God is inviting us. In fact, it actually says these words. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to what? To please God. I think that's really unfair. We are the only species on this planet that, 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 that is responsible for that. No, but there's no dolphins that are going like, man, I, I got I to gotta live by faith. You know, no elephant that's sitting there going, I am dreaming of a day that I'm skinny. <laughs> there is no, no other animal, no other species on this planet that can do that. We're the only ones that can do that. We're the only ones that can say, this is, this is the future that, that I want to live for God's glory. We are responsible for that. In fact, it says, if we don't live by that faith, then we are not pleasing God. If you're not living by that faith, then it is what? Impossible. Are you following what I'm saying here? To please God. God, Jeremiah was about ready to, 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 to come onto the scene, and, and he was going to do something. I if you ever read the book of Jeremiah, this is what happened to that guy, man. Man, whew, I hope that never happens to me, okay? Just telling you, read that story, that poor guy. But, so God, to encourage him, Decided to let him know something. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Before you were even in the womb. Catch this. Don't miss this. Before you were even in the womb, I knew you. And he's saying that to every one of us. You know what that means? You know what he's saying actually there? This is unbelievable. What he's actually saying is, You were invisible. But you were an idea in my mind. You were a dream, Jeremiah. And before you were formed, I knew you. I dreamt you up. And I created you to do great things. Now go, Jeremiah. Walk on water. Go, Jeremiah. Walk by faith. And, you know, and it was such a powerful, intense impression to Jeremiah that he could not help to do what he did in, in, in the midst of tremendous adversity. Why? Because he experienced God in every moment of that adversity. Are you following what I'm saying? And is it possible that God is saying, look, I, by faith it is impossible to please me, so why don't you act on your ideas? We hear people all the time, I, believers, I've heard believers actually say things like this. We, I've said this before. They say, well, you know, what is... There's all this mess in this world, and there's so much going on. And you know, why doesn't God do something? Evil people do not wait for God's permission to do something. The evil in this world has never happened because they're waiting for God's permission. Why is it that we have to wait for God's permission? God says, Look, I created you, you go do something, you do something. You go walk on water, but I'm I'm afraid. You get out of the boat, and you keep your eye on me. Because that's the next part of this, right? Here's what you need to know, by the way. There's a high cost for staying in the boat. You just don't realize that there is. Let me tell you what that cost is. Staying in the boat always leads to stagnation and eventually unfulfillment you will wake up one day and go, what have I done with my life? See, some people call that like a midlife crisis, and, and sometimes it is. <laughs> but I think a lot of times it's just going, you know what, I just don't want to be bored like this anymore. I, I don't want to live a risk-free life anymore. I, want to tr- I don't want to live a trust-free life. I want to trust God. I want to do something that, that God only can make happen. If you stay in the boat, sinful patterns that you have will never get confronted. It is only when you step out of the boat that that something amazing happens in us. And we feel the need to confront some of our sinful patterns. If you're struggling with sin right now, I don't know what it is, and it's okay. Listen, God loves you. Don't forget that. And he's inviting you. It's okay that you're struggling. But listen, you want to overcome that step off the boat. Don't believe the lies. If you stay in the boat, it will always lead to your abilities and gifts that will never get cultivated or seen. There's some of you guys that are so gifted and talented, and we don't have a clue, because you're sitting in the boat. I want to know. And this happens until weeks turn into months, months into years, and one day you look back and you got this regret. And you realize that there were deep moments that you never had. Bold prayers that you never prayed. Exhilarating risks that you never took. Water walking moments that you never took advantage of. Forgotten dreams. Lives you never touched. And you're like, what, why, what happened here? What could have been? That's probably the worst three things that we could say. Three words. What could have, oh, four words, excuse me. <laughs> been. For those of you who you know, need to keep track of that. problem is you never got out of the boat. All right, so there's always a call. Number two, there's always fear. So it says here, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. How cool is that? I love that. You know, you say whatever you want about Peter. He's, he's got some moxie, doesn't he? <laughs> I love that about Peter. And when he saw the wind, he was what? When he saw the wind, he was what? And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. I think he did that with that, like, you know, adolescent kind of voice change moment. Lord, save me. That's what happens to us, right? It's like as long as he had his eyes on Jesus, everything was great. It's when we take our eyes off Jesus and we look at the storm that everything changes. Have you noticed that? Some even suggest that he was like walking and all of a sudden looks back to his disciples and goes, check what I'm doing. Whether it was pride or just the power of the storm, I'm going to tell you right now if if he had kept his eyes on Jesus he would have never drowned. But we're always afraid. I don't know if you remember learning how to how to ride a bike. Remember what it was like to learn how to ride a bike? You ever teach somebody? I remember teaching Brianna how to ride a bike because this is the way I was taught. First, we got her the tricycle, you know, get her used to that idea of sitting and moving. And then we got her a two-wheeled bike. And I remember, like, saying, okay, I'm going to walk, I'm going to hold the seat, I promise. I'm going to hold the seat and the handlebar first while you're on it. And we're going to walk together. How's that? Okay. Okay, Daddy. All right, honey, let's go. Let's keep. And this went on for a bit until I said, Honey, would it be okay if I let go of the handlebar? No, 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 no. Don't you dare let go of the handlebar. Okay. Maybe not yet. Maybe next time. Okay. Right. At some point, she said to me, Okay, Daddy. I go, Okay, Daddy, what? Okay, you can let go of the uh, handlebar. But, but tell me first. All right. I'm going to let go of the handlebar. <laughs> and I let go. She's like trembling. But I didn't tell her. You know what? I, you know what comes next, right? Is that I not only let go of the handlebar, I let go of what? Of the seat. But I'm walking with her as if I'm. And I, uh, uh, you know, uh, my hand's still like that. You know, I'm like, oh, honey, you're doing so good. I go. You know, you're riding by yourself. What? You know, what happens, right? All of a sudden, like you're doing great, until all of a sudden, fear takes over you. Isn't that true? I don't know if you notice this. I, I notice this. God is in the habit of asking people to do some scary things. But every water walker, even when they step off the boat, they experience fear. When we water walk earthly, reality is always set in. Natural laws begin to, to take over. We take our eyes off Jesus and opposition and unexpected obstacles. All this stuff just kind of overwhelms us. We see the wind. I love this quote by President Theodore Roosevelt. And some of you probably have read this before. Some of you have seen it on on pictures. I actually have a cell book picture in my office that has this. It is not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better." Hmm. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows that the great enthusiasm, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Oh yeah, just go ahead and sit in the pews. You'll be safe, seriously, right? If you want to be safe, sit in the boat. If you want to experience the thrill of God, of Christianity alive, get out of the boat. So there's always a call. There's always fear. Next one is always help. And that help comes from Jesus. Verse 31, it says, immediately. I love that. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and catches him. You of little faith, he says, why did you doubt (laughs) Brown. <laughs> See, that's what we think Jesus does. Grabs him, says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Pfft, let me put you under more. That's what we think happens. God doesn't do that. Right? What does he do? He says, come on, man. It's okay. It's a lesson learned. Don't look at the, look at the storm next time, Peter. See, whether Peter sank or not, totally dependent on whether his focus was on Jesus and the storm. Yet, Jesus saves him. And out of all the disciples, only Peter knew the glory of being lifted. Catch this. Only Peter knew the glory of being lifted while he was drowning. Not just about the water walking. It's about experiencing God lifting us out of the pit. Are you following what I'm saying here? No matter where we are, even as we pass through the storms of life, even when we experience that sinking feeling, Jesus is there. And Jesus wants to lift us. And the chaos of turmoil and the chaos of of life is threatening to overwhelm us and derail us. From, From water walking, Jesus is there. Don't you believe that? All right, finally, there is always a changed life there's always a call there's always fear there's always help and there's always a changed life the way what happens here in verse 32 and when they climbed into the boat the wind died down it was like a remote control Jesus you know he climbs into the boat how do they do that by the way was it like, what, did, what did Peter experience was it like was it like steps I mean I don't know I'm just thinking you know like, did he feel like, wow, this is easy? I, I don't know. But the moment they climbed in, boom, the storm is dead. Then those who were in the boat, what? Worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. <laughs> I'm sorry. This cracks me up. I, I, you mean like when I changed water into wine, that didn't work for you? <laughs> Uh, feeding 5,000, that was, you know, healing. No, oh, this is it? Okay, cool. <laughs> Truly, this is the Son of God. So you have this soggy Peter sputtering water out of his lungs. And the boat is bobbing, but there is no storm. Somewhere in the midst of the sea, in the midst of all that was happening, the disciples realized that there was no one less... On that boat than God's own son that was sitting right in front of him. So they worshiped him. They believed. They were changed. Ultimately, thank you. This extreme event recorded in the Gospel of Matthew is screaming one thing. Don't miss this, we're almost done. How big is your God? How big is your God? Is he big enough to help you through the storm? Is he big enough to invite you? Is, uh, is he big enough to, 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 that if you look at him, you can actually walk on water? Whatever your water is, whatever your sea is, whatever your storm is, is he big enough? Do you believe it when I say God is bigger? God is bigger than the obvious. More powerful than the predictable. And he loves to give impossibility and inferiority complex. You will get so sick of me saying this. But I want to tell you right now, you're stuck with it for a while. Because God is bigger. God is bigger. I spent the last few days, I was invited to do a leadership workshop for Arise. Uh, it's, a, it's, a disciple, it's a 13-week discipleship training that uh, uh, two very uh, well-known pastors, Dave, David Ashrick and uh, Ty Gibson put together. And Ty calls me up and says, you know, Serge, we've been doing this for a while now and we just realized we don't even have a, a leadership component. <gasps> <laughs> How could you, you? know." He's like, would you be willing to do this? So I, I went over there and, and, and I, had a, I had to do a four-hour. Hmm. Four-hour. Seminar, those people sat for four hours with little breaks in between. I actually ended up being a five-hour. Because when my time was up and they were supposed to eat lunch, I wasn't quite done, and they began to beg me and the person that was in charge, please let him finish. Please let him finish. Now I want to tell you about a girl. There was this couple that was sitting in the back. And when I started speaking. I, mean, I don't know, how she, she, she had to be in her 20s. She can't be that, that old. I started speaking, in fact, I thought she was a teenager, but <coughs> I realized later she wasn't. I started speaking, she was like, you could just tell she was angry. She was shaking her head like this. But as the hours passed, she began to be more st- steady and, and shake her head like this. And the main thing that I was sharing with them is you matter to God. It doesn't matter what's happened to you in your life, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter who you think you are and what you don't think you have, you matter to God. God's got some great things going for you. So, so please, and, and at first, she couldn't accept that. In fact, she came up to me after it was all over. And she said, I need to tell you something. I'm going to call her Amy just to protect her. She said, she said, Pastor, I need to tell you something. You started talking, I couldn't stand you. I'm sorry. She said, the more you talked about how, you, how we matter to God and God can use us, and I, the more I got angry because I know God can't use me. But then something changed as you were talking. I said, could it really be? And, and so I, I decided, look, you know, I, I don't want her to feel bad. So I said, look, look, I don't pretend in any way, shape, or form of knowing what you've gone through in your life. The, the hurt, the pain, the storms that you've been through. She goes, stop. I've been through nothing. I was born and raised in the 7th Adventist church. I went to Adventist school. I've lived a boring life. Because all, and all of a sudden she starts crying. Because all this time, I didn't know that God prized me as an individual. All this time I was told what to do and how to do it. And I never knew. never really grabbed the fact that I mattered to God. And that I could be whoever I needed to be in God's eyes. And I was unleashed to be who God designed me to be. And not... Not the sum total of other people's opinions. She's just crying and crying. And her husband is just trying, you know, comfort her. And now I'm like getting all theory-eyed and I'm like, Amy. I wish that I could spend more time with you guys. We actually made a decision to uh, to get on Skype and talk some more. She said, but. By the time the seminar was over, I was convinced that I mattered to God. I just don't know what to do next. And I told her, step out of the boat. God will take care of everything else. See, when we shrink God to our experience, we end up offering faithless prayers, passionless and joyless services. We begin to criticize. We experience hopeless suffering and purposeless leaving, living. See, in a world riddled with uh, uh, amazing challenges, all kinds of media-confusing messages, this afternoon, two people are going to walk. Right? I don't even understand how this guy standing here, to be honest with you. I remember 30 years ago on my wedding day, I was a mess. And Nancy was nowhere to be found. I mean, I knew she was getting ready. I just didn't know where she was. And when Fred was asking, Pastor Fred was saying, "Well, where's Ellie?" I'm like, who, who knows? Don't worry. Let your Ellie do her thing. You're going to be there this afternoon. That's what I need her for. But in this world that is so confusing and so intense and so crazy with what is right and what is wrong, they are going to water walk and say we're going to get married and we're going to do this God's way. I praise God for that.